And today our pet vet, David Tabret, joins us and our special topic today, David. Hi, Jane. How are you going? Um, today I thought we'd just touch on the topic of pet insurance. I'm starting to see more and more people coming through with their pets and uh, what benefits and also about the costs. I guess we need to look at all of that for you as a pet owner. Great. And Julie Tolliday, who's a dog behaviour specialist, is joining us as well. And we're talking today to a special guest. Yes, I'm going to talk to Belinda Carter, who's a oh, has been a colleague of mine, and she's an Australian cattle dog enthusiast. Pet chat this afternoon on Two NURFM, sixteen past twelve. And David Tabret, we're talking about pet insurance. Now, some of us may or may not have thought mm. about doing that for our pets. Well, Jane, we've got you know house insurance, car insurance, things like that, and some of our insurance for say our car is mandatory, but then your comprehensive insurance, which will cover damages to your car uh, is optional but it's a pretty good investment because the cost can be quite high now what we're seeing is that pet insurance is really starting to pick up in a lot of areas but we're still a long way behind experiences say in, over in England or uh, Great Britain and also in Europe and particularly the Scandinavian countries which have an uptake somewhere upward of 80 or 90 percent of pet owners actually have pet insurance we're starting to see numbers recently coming out from the industry are telling us uh, around about 3 to 5%, but that's certainly increasing. And in fact, I had a shift at work not too long ago, and we had three patients in a row that uh, were able to claim some of the costs back on their pet insurance. So here's how it basically works. You, like most insurances, you have to pay a premium, okay? And there are certain limits and, uh, you know, price variants. If you've got two dogs, often there's if you insure them both, there's going to be maybe some discounts on those. Uh, there are some age limits. Usually the, the dogs have to be probably about 8 to 10 weeks of age in most cases. Uh, that can vary a little bit depending on the insurer. And as a new policy, often there's an upper age limit. So if you rock up with your 18-year-old dog, you may not find it that easy to get a policy. But if you've had your dog insured for all that time and they're 18, then you're Keep often going. covered anyway. They don't necessarily run out. There are some breed restrictions as well. So I guess, again, going back to the cars, it's like, you know, if you've got a four-wheel drive, you'll have certain um, limits on, on the insurance. So some breeds might have some cover for certain conditions and not for others, and you need to be very specific and look into it. As always, read the fine print, read the detail, and seek out others' opinions on the value f that you see with it. One of the reasons we're starting to see this happening is that Look, insurance companies know that they can make some money off that, okay? So the basic principle of insurance is that there's a large pool that everybody pays into and then if you have an event, then that can help to reimburse some of the costs. And what they're usually doing is you'll get an 80% or 100% reimbursement of costs under certain conditions. And again, there are some definitions there. And you pay a little bit more for, you know, if you want the full spectrum of care uh, you're going to pay a little bit more on your monthly premium but we're talking around about somewhere between 20 and 40 dollars a month for most uh, dogs you know 20 dollars is sort of around about the basic level up to that higher end where you're getting a lot more benefit return and the other thing they're doing which i really encourage people to look at is that they get the preventative care uh, benefit as well now this is sort of something that's a nice sweetener in there you uh you know, you've got to feed your dog, they've got to be registered, 
desexed, you've got your worming, your vaccination, they're all sort of preventative care and they're not usually going to be covered by insurance but a lot of the companies now have uh, an add-on which will give you somewhere in the region of 100 to $150 per year back towards those various costs. And so if you think, you know, if you're paying 30 or $40, you're basically getting back about three or four months a year out of your premiums in terms of those preventative care, which you would be doing anyway. You, would, you know, you have to register your pet and you should be getting them desexed and microchipped and so on. So it's a real sweetener that adds on. And then if the other reason we see pet insurance starting to take off a bit more, I think, is that as people move away from their, uh, where they grew up, so their nuclear family, if you like, and they've moved into state, we've got greater mobility. Pets become a very important part of people's lives because it's something they come home to. And, you know, most friends, absolutely part of the family. And uh, so we're starting to provide that more intimate care for our pets and looking after them to a greater degree. Pets are living longer because we're feeding them better. We prevent parasites. Um, I mean, the last time I saw a patient with heartworm infection was probably 15 years ago. And yet we saw it very prevalent before that. And that's because we're looking after our pets better. But they are, on the other hand, living longer and getting things like cancer and diabetes and arthritis problems and things like that. So, you know, it works both ways, same as for our health as well as for our pets. And some of those costs are starting to become more predictable, but also the costs are going up because we have better technology available. I mean, nowadays we can actually send uh, dogs off for brain surgery for brain cancer and have them cured. We have animals that can send off for MRIs and things like that. Uh, We're doing stem cell therapy in dogs. I was just at a conference at the Gold Coast and they're now producing, they've got a 3D printer that will produce an artificial joint for a dog. Wow. So, you know, these things are there, but they cost some money and it's not unusual for vet bills to easily go over $1,000. Sometimes, uh, you know, up to the ten to 20000 I've seen cases of where owners have committed to spending that sort of 30000 um, and look, as a vet, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm not going to lie, that's not a bad thing, because at the same time, I'm not a car enthusiast, and yet people spend that sort of money on cars, but I'm not going to get upset about them doing that. So pet insurance will help get you over the line and get those things done. But look into it, speak with your veterinarian, have a look online, there's plenty of information out there. And sure, there's cases where people have been disappointed with claims that have been denied, and I would just say, go into it with your eyes wide open, and read, as always, read the fine print. So, to a new RFM, where you're listening to Pet Chat, and uh, I wonder if they had pets at Scarborough Fair when they, when Simon and Garfunkel went there. Anyway, this is Pet Chat, and Julie Tolliday. Um, we're speaking with a very special guest now. We are. Hi, uh, Be- hi, Belinda. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm glad that you were able to talk to us today. I just was going to share with people that um, it's only quite recently that I've really realised how specialised your knowledge is with Australian cattle dogs, even though I've known you for a long time. Um, And I was just wondering where your interest came from initially. Oh, my interest came from I had horses and I lived on property and I wanted a dog which could look after itself, come out in the paddocks and not have to worry about them being bitten by snakes or they just seem to be quite intelligent dogs which don't need to be highly managed. Okay, and then you took on Jake. That was interesting. 
I did. I started off in cattle dogs with rescue dogs first, um, dogs which needed, you know, older dogs which needed homes. Um, and Jake was my first cattle dog, and he taught me an awful lot. And I think you remember meeting him, Julie. Yes, I did indeed. And I actually I met him when he was beautifully trained, and I wasn't aware he'd had that behavioural baggage earlier. Yes, he did. He was. Um, it was a, a case of. Uh, myself not knowing how to raise the adult dog properly so he certainly taught me how to do it properly so it took us about two years to get him on the straight and narrow but then he was a great dog after that yeah and certainly we saw that um recently you came to newcastle and helped me out with a few cattle dogs that we had in a growly class and i was really intrigued to know the genetic heritage of these dogs because i just thought it was a cattle dog like i'm a bit silly like that and just tell us again what the breeds are that you'll find in it that were combined in a cattle dog and why yeah, well, the cattle dog was um, bred to fought, like do a purpose, which was rounding up wild cattle and, and helping to, like push them through to market. Um, so they were originally a cross between dingoes and smooth collies from Scotland that were imported out here in the late 1800s, and then they added in some Dalmatian, Kelpie, and a little bit of Bull Terrier. Yeah, I just find that mix amazing. I just find that mix amazing. And you talked to us when you came to Newcastle about them, how cognitive they are. They are. Because they've got so much dingo in them, they are very good at figuring things out for themselves, which can make them a, a challenge but rewarding to own because you really do need to keep on top of them and keep them mentally stimulated. Absolutely. So we've got a little um, blue cattle dog in a puppy class at the moment and sadly I think it's going to be too much for the people who've got this dog. They've got a child with ADHD and they thought I'd bu they'd buy an active dog for this child to have. Would you have any advice that I could pass on? Uh, the dogs, it's, you know, when we think of active dogs, we think of having to walk them 10 kilometres a day. I mean, they, they need physical exercise, but this breed particularly needs a job to do, um, yep. be it being trick training or doing um, sports or, or rounding up cattle, which they were bred for. So they really do need a job to do. Yeah, and your dogs, your cattle dogs at the moment, have got a, a job to do because they've been doing herding, haven't they? And some people might not even know that that's an option with these dogs. Oh, there's lots of sports that you can do with um, cattle dogs because they're a very versatile dog. Um, mine do a lot of different sports, obedience, rally, um, they do showing, um, and they also do sheep and cattle herding competitions. So it keeps them, you've met them, Julie, they're quite well-behaved dogs because they, they get all their needs fulfilled. Well, I, they, your dogs certainly do. I do know that a couple of those growly dog owners were looking at um, trying to switch dogs so that they could take one of yours home. <laughs> Yeah, and just probably a last question here, like, are there any things that you could say that people should avoid from the start with cattle dogs? They, they really do need strict but firm leadership. So right. if, if people don't sort of step up and, um, and not dictate, but steer the direction where they want the dog to go, then the dog will decide tasks for themselves. So that's why they really do need to go to puppy school. They need some obedience training and just and just some general respect they need to learn. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, the results you got with my growlies were great, you know, and they're still able to mix together in their little class and they don't have meltdowns, which is fantastic because these people have learned about leadership and that's thanks to you, Belinda. This is Pet Chat on 2NURFM. 49216216 for your calls and John has joined us with a call for David. Hi John, how are you going? G'day David. Um, yes mate, I've got a, a Labrador, he's 18 months old mm -hmm. and um, last week he had a seizure. I heard something hit the wall outside and 
I looked out and he was laying down frothing at the mouth and couldn't get to his feet and his eyes were glazed and uh, I came back in and rang a mobile vet and while I was doing that uh, I saw the dog stand up and he started to look really confused and I went back out there and he wouldn't come to me mm-hmm. and finally he did come to me and wagged his tail well, in a couple of minutes he drank a heap of water and um, and he seemed alright and I took him up to the vet and um, they said you know he obviously had a, did have a, a seizure um, and they'll do some tests if it has, happens again um, and she said to me something because of him being 18 months to 20 months old sometimes their brain still has a wiring mechanism that plays up um, and she said sometimes they may have two or three and they grow out of them um, what's mm. your views on all that? About uh, what year are we now? 2013 I remember back I saw a patient back in 2000 and uh, no 2000 and it was a cattle dog and it was about 11 years old and it had been on um, talking cattle dogs it had been on medication for seizures since it was six months of age and it was on an extremely low dose and I asked the clients pay the owners and I said "When, when did this dog have a seizure and they said it was six months of age and I said how many and they said it had one and I said, well, I think you can stop the medication. And they were really worried that it was going to have another seizure. And I said, some, some dogs will have one, and then that's it. They won't have another one. And I guess we don't, you know, we don't always find out what the cause of that is. Usually they're a little bit younger, I tend to think. I, there's a number of reasons. So a seizure happens when, it, if you like, it's, I call it an itchy brain. Okay, there's like an electrical short circuit in the brain. It's just that the brain happens to control the rest of the body so the electrical short circuit causes everything to sort of start moving and jumping and and legs twitching and you know they can lose control of their bowel and bladder and they're vomiting or yeah he did vomit yep. I, I, I took the vomit up to the vet in case there was something that he'd eaten but we went through it and all it was was the science diet and yes whatever you know. yeah and and being a labrador you've yep. got to you've got to be aware that they're possibly going to ingest things and so we start to go into this uh uh investigation of what could be causing it um just to mention on the cattle dog we stopped the medication he never had a seizure and he'd never had one ever since he was six months of age so that can happen but when they're about that age we do see a condition called idiopathic epilepsy it's a genetic condition and basically it means they've got an inherited short circuiting of the brain if you like and it's going to fire off and they're going to have seizures for the rest yeah. of their life. Now, the frequency might be it's once every couple of years or it might be 40 times a day. Right. Okay, so anywhere in between. We normally don't treat them until we're getting down to about at least once a month mm. or six weeks, mainly because the side effects of the treatment probably outweigh the benefits of giving the medication, okay? Mm. So if it's a good idea to keep a diary note of when this happened because if it does yeah. happen again, then that's going to be the trigger for... Yeah, I did ring the uh, breeder, and um, she had never had any problems with the um, yeah. like the inheritance. And that sort it, of thing. it can just show up. It doesn't necessarily mean that they've got a family background. Although no, obviously, if okay. there was a family background, that would be more likely. But the other thing is, we also look for, and your vet's already done this, is to look for external causes like toxins, as you said. Yep. Um, and the problem with diagnosing epilepsy is we basically have to rule everything else out, including other causes of brain disease. So that can be quite complicated. 
Um, but obviously if there's no history of trauma, if there's no other what we call interictal signs, which is in between the seizures, then we're more likely to be looking at an idiopathic epilepsy situation. And that, as I said, may or may not need, need treatment, just depending on the frequency. So probably best just to keep a close watch on behaviour, on um, how well we're walking, if there's any signs of stumbling or gait problems, if there's any behavioural changes, and keep in touch with your vet about that. Um, and their their assessment's probably going to include blood tests and further examination. Yes, that's what they said. They they do that if it happened again. So yep. think, um, just last last question: um, If he knocked his head severely or something, would that produce um, this sort of seizure? Possibly, but you have to knock your head pretty hard. Yeah, well, there's no signs of lumps or anything. Yeah, like they've no. got pretty thick skulls. Yeah, but oh uh, yeah, you know it's possible. You can fall in the wrong way, but they. They're pretty hard-headed, so... Okay, so it is possible that it could be just a one-off. Yep, that's certainly true, but keep an eye on things and keep in touch with your vet, as you said. To a new RFM and Pet Chat is the program. 49216216 is the number that you can ring to get your question through to our pet team today. And Gary has rung that number. Uh, Gary, you've got a question for Julie? Yeah, I have. A dog um, behaving badly? <laughs> yeah, I have two female cocker spaniels around the two-year-old mark. Maybe one's two, maybe one's two and a half. Right. And they're beautiful to pups. Um, my wife and I both work, uh, you know, pretty much daylight to dark, and especially in the wintertime. And they've got a very large area to roam, uh, probably around uh, two acres, maybe. Right. Uh, all fenced in, and they can run and do whatever they want. But they seem to hang around one corner, basically, and dig holes, and they obviously board. Um, is there any way that we can sort of uh, get them entertained or change their um, daily pattern? Certainly there is. I mean, at a, a real psychological level, I'd look at things like, you know, making sure that they're very content to know that you and your wife are the leaders, are the ones who look after everything, because if dogs really understand that it's not their job to be in charge of stuff, they really will chill out a little bit more. But I've, I, I must have known you were going to ring because I've just written down a big list of things. Okay. Um, so to leave them with stuff to do, you know, they need stuff to do. They don't want to just roam around. So when they dig, they're looking for something to do. So yeah. have you used Kongs with your dogs? Yeah, no, they've got a yard full of toys ah, and okay. and shoes. And I've tried even hanging. Uh, years ago, I had some uh, pigs and uh, hanging a chain from the the, the ceiling and the, uh, the pigs just entertain themselves for hours instead of chewing their tails. I tried hanging bones and stuff from the ceiling, but they just don't seem interested in, you know, in, uh, any of that sort of entertainment. Okay, all right. First thing I'm going to say is take all the toys away and each right. day give them a couple to play with and, right. r and rotate them frequently. That's one way that you'll tell the dogs that you make decisions, not them. Um, so they're spaniels, they probably love their food. So when I do Kongs, I do them frozen. So have you been yeah. free freezing them? So put, no. put a damp mixture of stuff in there. You can even just dampen their uh, dry food or you can stir in a bit of, um, like they can have like that good yogurt that's good for your gut. You can stir stuff like that in and freeze them so that when you lob those um, those 
Kongs outside, they're not going to finish them in two seconds at all. They're going to need to lick and bother. And while they're licking down, lying down and licking those out, they're not barking. They're actually rewarding themselves for not barking. Um, and, and rotate those. Don't do a Kong every day. So on other days, you might put out um, a bone for them. Tying up the bones is a good idea because you can even have them tied up that they can't quite get their paws on them. So it's a yeah. bigger challenge to, to, yeah. for them to be able to chew them. Frozen carrots, if they like vegetables, a frozen carrot is good. Um, talking of hanging things up, um, a, an empty Coke bottle um, hanging up and with a few holes uh, cut in the sides of them and put some dry food or treats in there so they've got to knock it from side to side to get the treats out. Okay. Uh, um, what were the other hanging things? Oh, you can hang you can hang the kongs if you like, make yeah, it a little yeah. bit harder because they're just hanging that little bit off the ground. Um, yeah. Some people give their dogs a digging spot, and to get your dogs to dig in the digging spot, you've got to make it more attractive than where they are digging. So if you get one of those clam shells, you might hide some treats in there. If they get into the habit of knowing that when you leave the house, there's something hidden out in the digging spot, then they're going to go looking um, and know that that's a job for them to do um, or even hide things around the garden. You hide them in really obvious places first. You even show them where you're hiding them first and yeah. then they get used to the, the routine is when you go out, you throw a couple of toys out, you put a frozen Kong out for each of them and you go hide a couple of things for them. Pet Chat, that's what you're listening to at the moment. 49216216 for your calls. It's 11 to 1. And Len, you've got a question for David? Yes, I have got a question for David. Hi, Len. Let's, uh, let's hear it. What have you got? Uh, we have a Labrador. She's yeah. probably about nine year old. Mm-hmm. She smells all the time. And when you give her a bath, she still smells. Um, afterwards, the same as what did before, and it doesn't matter what we seem to do, she she still has this terrible odour. Mm. Like, like it's, it's a dog odour with wet hair all the time. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you have any other animals? Uh, a dachshund. Who doesn't smell? Who doesn't smell now? Right. Okay. Just just wanted to see what your baseline was there, so that we uh, we know that you you pr- you know you. you Assessing the, your poor Labrador's smell effectively. Um, okay, so what sort of diet are we eating? She has um, a cup of dry food mm-hmm. and half a tin of um, the dog food. Yep, just a. It, it does. We do, we do change at times to try and find out whether that may be the cause of it, but it still seems to be yeah, a terrible smell. Okay, and any seasonal influences? Like, do you notice it's worse in winter or summer or something like that? No, it seems to be the same all the time. Okay. It's so bad you can't have her inside inside because of the, the smell that she's got. Yeah. Um, so I'm just running through a few things. Ideas around diet can affect um, their odour, but also I think we'd be looking at problems to do with the skin. So are there any skin problems that we've had that uh, inflammation or infection on the skin and what have you been using as a regular bath? Um, we've been using the Dr. Harry dog wash. Mm-hmm. And how, fre- how frequently? Well, we try to give her a bath once a week. With all the wet weather we've been having, it hasn't been as frequent as that. So she'd probably have one probably average once a fortnight. Okay. 
And does that, after bathing, is it better or worse? No different. No different, all right. And any problems with her skin otherwise? Um, she does scratch, but she doesn't have any rashes. Hmm, okay. I'd, I'd be certainly thinking that a medicated shampoo might be useful. Now, the reason why I say that is that sometimes we can have a, a fairly mild sort of a yeast infection on the skin, which will lead to a smell. There, there are also some species of bacteria that can be quite malodorous, not the usual ones though. And so our best bet then is to use an antifungal, antibacterial shampoo. And um, usually there's a couple on the market that you can get probably from vet clinics um, for this one. And they contain a combination of a chlorhexidine wash, which is going to take care of your bacteria on the skin, and also a, a compound called myconazole, which is an antifungal. Now, yeast infections are quite common, particularly in dogs that are a little more heavier set or they've got that slightly thicker coat because the humidity on the skin just allows the yeast uh, to start to develop. And they're almost in, you know, invisible until you get to a very severe stage uh, where the skin becomes severely inflamed. So an odour is often the first sign that we see. And some shampoos may actually be encouraging the yeast to grow by cleansing the skin of other organisms it allows the yeast to take off and that's why I think you need to use a, an antifungal as well as the antibacterial and as I said they do come in you know one bottle so that's probably the best way to go. And we can get that from any vet or yeah. where, where are you at? Oh now you can get it interestingly we actually don't stock the shampoos as an emergency <laughs> okay. centre yeah. um, but uh, yeah, any bit. The reason I said that, and not necessarily pet stores, is and look, there may be some that do. Is that? But I do know vets will have them. There's about two or three different brands. So I don't want to give you a brand name as such, um, but easily to to say, I'm after an antifungal, antibacterial shampoo for my dog. Um, they'll give you the right one. So. Uh, you should be able to pop into your local vet and they'll... Pet chat and just a couple of things to wrap up the program. Very quickly, first of all, Julie, we've got a dog event happening. Yep, the Maitland Dog Obedience Club is having an obedience and retrieving ability test for gun dogs at the Tokal Agricultural College in Tokal Road, Tokal, this Saturday and Sunday from 9 o'clock. The president's number I found on the website, but 49332241. Great. And we've also got a last question from Jackie. Jackie, your question. Yeah, hi. I've just, I have a beagle. He's nearly three. And every time we go near him, he pees himself. Like to take his collar off, he'll do a wet. To take his jacket off, he wets. Any tips on how we can just stop him doing this? You've got, Jackie, a very anxious dog. A very anxious dog. And um, it's probably a topic that needs, obviously, a lot more discussion. Yep. But what we have to do is to just re-establish some safe and trusting environments. And yep. I'm sure that you're doing as much as you can in that. And just accept that what you're seeing is a sign of anxiety. Now, one of the problems that sometimes happens, obviously, you don't want to be rousing on him at all. That's yep. going to be counterintuitive because it's anxiety that's driving this. Yep. And some dogs are going to need to be stepped through various uh, behaviours or routines in the household over time and be encouraged all the way through. Yep. Uh, and any time you see that sort of anxiety, sometimes what it's a good idea is to take them right up to the point where you think they're just about to pee and then back away. 
okay, so that you're really starting to encourage that behaviour and comfort and trust be re-established, reducing anxiety but certainly don't rouse on him. Keep calm and carry on. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's pitch chat for today. Just one last thing. We have a lost dog in the New Lambton, Katara area. It's an 18-month-old female boxer, a red one with a white chest and a black face, no collar but does have a microchip. So give us a call here at the station if you have found that dog on 2NURFM, 2NURFM's Pitch Chat, back next Wednesday.